Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello again and welcome to another Horror Shots Podcast with me, Casey. Now, of course, this podcast is brought to you by none other than MorbidlyBeautiful.com. What is MorbidlyBeautiful.com? Well, if you've never listened to the cast before and this is your very first episode, well, I want to say welcome. Secondly, Morbidly Beautiful is an outstanding website featuring all kinds of crazy, fun, niche, mainstream, whatever you want about horror pop culture. Yes, if you want to read interviews, top 10 lists, reviews, whatever you want, they have it. So go check out morbidlybeautiful.com right now and catch up on everything horror-related in the pop culture field. Now, a little bit of housekeeping. Yes, that Morbidly Beautiful plug is a housekeeping aspect, but this is more for the personal housekeeping of myself. So if you are a fan of the cast, please do drop a review. Reviews help little guys like me get noticed in the big, bad world of podcasting. So you drop a review, leave as many stars as you'd like, and and let people know how much you just happen to like the cast. If you do that, it does show up a little bit higher in rankings and searches and all that kind of fun stuff. So there is an incentive towards that. If you leave a review, I'm going to pool all the reviews I get in the next, say, two months. And I'm going to pick two winners out of there to get a Horror Shots t-shirt. That's it. All you got to do is leave it on iTunes and I will do the rest. I'll contact you and, yeah, I'll say your name on the cast. I'll read all the reviews on the cast as well. Secondly, I have started a YouTube channel. So go check that out. There's gameplay, there's streams, there's the podcast itself. So go check out everything on YouTube. Link for that will be in the description. The more subs I get, the better, and then I can shorten the link and then... Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. But onto the cast itself today, we are going to be talking about the dragon. Now everybody knows what a dragon is. Everybody has probably at least heard of Game of Thrones, and if you haven't watched it, I suggest going to watch it. It's one of the best shows of our time. However, it does feature a lot of dragons, and it got me thinking a long time ago about the origin of dragons, and I never really looked into it much until this week when I was like, hey, What's a good podcast idea? Well, a good podcast idea would be dragons. And so I delved into the research involving dragons. Now, in case you are unfamiliar with dragons, they are large serpent-like legendary creatures that appear in the folklore of many cultures around the world. Beliefs about dragons vary drastically by region, and but dragons in Western cultures since the High Middle Ages have often been depicted as winged, horned, four-legged and capable of breathing fire. Dragons in Eastern culture are usually depicted as wingless, four-legged serpentine creatures with above-average intelligence. Above-average intelligence regarding what? I'm not entirely sure, but there it is. Maybe smarter than your average bear. The earliest attested dragons resemble giant snakes. Dragon-like creatures are first described in mythologies of the ancient Near East and appear in ancient Mesopotamian art and literature. Stories about storm gods slaying giant serpents occur throughout nearly all Indo-European and Near Eastern mythologies as well. 
Famous prototypical dragons include Mushu of ancient Mesopotamia, Apep in ancient mythology, Vitra in the Rig Veda, and the Leviathan in the Hebrew Bible, Python, Ladin, and Wyvern, Lernaean Hydra in Greek mythology, Jorgmungand in Nithogar, and Fafnir in North mythology, and the dragon from Beowulf. The popular Western image of a dragon as winged, four-legged, and capable of breathing fire is an invention of the High Middle Ages based on a conflation of earlier dragons from different traditions. In Western cultures, dragons are portrayed as monsters to be tamed or overcome, usually by saints or cultural heroes, as in the popular legend of St. George and the Dragon. They're often said to have ravenous appetites and live in caves, where they hoard treasures. These dragons appear frequently in Western fantasy literature as well, including The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, obvious, Harry Potter, and A Song of Fire and Ice by George R.R. R. Martin. That's also the basis for Game of Thrones. The word dragon has also come to be applied to the Chinese young, which are also associated with the good fortune and are thought to have power over rain. Dragons and their associations with rain are the source of Chinese customs of dragon dancing and the dragon boat race. Many East Asian deities and demigods have dragons as their personal mounts or companions. Dragons are also identified with the Emperor of China, who, during later Chinese imperial history, was the only one permitted to have dragons on his house, clothing, and personal articles. Now, what are some sources of inspiration for the dragon myth? Well, dragon-like creatures appear in virtually all cultures around the globe, as we have stated. Nonetheless, scholars dispute where the idea of the dragon originates from, and a wide variety of theories have been proposed. In his book, An Instinct for Dragons, in 2000, anthropologist David E. Jones suggests a hypothesis that humans, just like monkeys, have inherited instinctive reactions to snakes, large cats, and birds of prey. He cites a study which found that approximately 39 people in 100 are afraid of snakes, and notes that fear of snakes is especially prominent in children, even in areas where snakes are rare. The earliest attested dragons all resemble snakes or bear snake-like attributes. Jones therefore concludes that the reason why dragons appear in nearly all cultures is because of humans' innate fear of snakes and other animals that were major predators of humans. Dragons are usually said to reside in dank caves, deep pools, wild mountain reaches, sea bottoms, haunted forests, and all places which would have been fraught with danger for early human ancestors. In her book, The First Fossil Hunters, Dinosaurs, Mammoths, and Myth in Greek and Roman Times, Adrian Mayer argues that some stories of dragons may have been inspired by ancient discoveries of fossils belonging to dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals. She argues that the dragon lore of North India may have been inspired by, quote, observations of oversized, extraordinary bones in the fossil beds of the Suwalak Hills below the Himalayas, and that ancient Greek artistic depictions of the monster of Troy may have been influenced by fossils of the Semotherium, an extinct species of giraffe whose fossils are common in the Mediterranean region. In China, a region where fossils of large prehistoric animals are common, these remains are frequently identified as dragon bones and are commonly used in the Chinese traditional medicines. Mayer, however, is careful to point out that not all stories of dragons and giants are inspired by fossils. 
and notes that Scandinavia has many stories of dragons and sea monsters, but has long been considered barren of large fossils. In one of her latest books, she states that many dragon images around the world were based on folk knowledge or exaggerations of living reptiles such as the Komodo dragon, the Gila monster, iguanas, alligators, or in California, alligator lizards. And naturally, it's not a surprise that many of the first spottings or first depictions of dragons come from some of the earliest known civilizations, such as Mesopotamia. Now, ancient peoples across the Near East believed in creatures similar to what modern people call dragons. These ancient peoples were unaware of the existence of dinosaurs or similar creatures in the distant past. References to dragons of both benevolent and malevolent character occur throughout ancient Mesopotamian literature. In Sumerian poetry, great kings are often compared to the Usumal, a giant serpentine monster, a dragon-like creature with the four parts of a lion and the hind legs, tail, and wings of a bird that appears in Mesopotamian artwork from the Akkadian period until the Neo-Babylonian period. The dragon is usually shown with its mouth open. It may have been known as the Umu or Nairu, which means roaring weather beast, and many have been associated with the god Ishkur, also known as Hadad. A slightly different lion dragon with two horns and the tail of a scorpion appears in art from the Neo-Assyrian period. Another dragon-like creature with horns, the body and neck of a snake, the forelegs of a lion, and the hind legs of a bird appear in Mesopotamian art from the Akkadian period until the Hellenistic period from 323 BC to 31 BC. This creature, known in the Akkadian lore as Mushushu, meaning furious serpent, was used as a symbol for particular deities, also as a general protective emblem. It seems to have originally been the attendant of the underworld god Ninazu, but later became the attendant of the Hurian storm god Tishpak, as well as later Ninazu's son Ning Ishizada the Babylonian national god of Marduk, the scribal god Nabu, and the Assyrian god Asher. Scholars disagree on the appearance of Tiamat, the Babylonian goddess personifying primeval chaos slain by Marduk in the Babylonian creation epic Enuma Elish. She was traditionally regarded by scholars as having had the form of a giant serpent, but several scholars have pointed out that this shape cannot be imputed to Tiamat with certainty, and she seems to have at least sometimes been regarded as anthropomorphic. Nonetheless, in some texts she seems to be described with horns, a tail, and a hide that no weapon can penetrate, all features which suggest she was conceived as some form of dragoness. Egypt has also had its fair share of dragon lore, and the most popular one is the Ouroboros, which was a well-known Egyptian symbol of a serpent swallowing its own tail. The precursor to the Ouroboros was the Many-Faced, a serpent with five heads who, according to the M. Duet, the oldest surviving book of the afterlife, was said to coil around the corpse of the sun god Ra protectively. The earliest surviving depictions of a true Ouroboros come from the gilded shrines in the tomb of Tutankhamun. In the early centuries, A.D., the Ouroboros was adopted as a symbol by the Gnostic Christians, and chapter 136 of Pistis Sophia, an early Gnostic text, describes, 
quote, a great dragon whose tail is in its mouth. In medieval alchemy, the Ouroboros became a typical western dragon with wings, legs, and a tail. A famous image of the dragon gnawing on its tail from the 11th century Codex Marcanius was copied in numerous works of alchemy. Now we get to something a little more biblical here. We have the Leviathan. In the Ugaritic Baal cycle, the sea dragon Latanu is described as the twisting serpent slash the powerful one with seven heads. In KTU 1.5-2-3, Latanu is slain by the Sorum god Baal, but in KTU 1.3-41-2, he is instead slain by the virgin warrior goddess Anat. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 74, and Psalm 74, 13, 14, the sea dragon Leviathan, whose name is Cognate of Latanu, is slain by Yahweh, the national god of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, as part of the creation of the world. In Isaiah 27, 1, Yahweh's destruction of Leviathan is foretold as part of Yahweh's impending overhaul of the universal order. Now, the text from Isaiah 27, 1 reads as such, on that day, Yahweh shall punish with his sharp, great, and strong sword, Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent. He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Job 41, contains a detailed description of Leviathan as well, who is described as being a powerful being that only Yahweh can overcome. Job 41, 1921 states that the Leviathan exhales fire and smoke, making its identification as a mythical dragon clearly apparent. In some parts of the Old Testament, the Leviathan is historicized as a symbol for the nations that stand against Yahweh. Rahab, a synonym for Leviathan, is used in several biblical passages in reference to Egypt. Isaiah 37 declares, Quote, for Egypt's help is worthless and empty, therefore I have called her the silenced Rahab. Similarly, Psalm 87.3 reads, I reckon Rahab and Babylon are those that know me. In Ezekiel 29.3.5 and 32.2.8, the pharaoh of Egypt is described as a dragon. In the story of Bel and the dragon, from the apocryphal additions to Daniel, Prophet Daniel sees a dragon being worshipped by the Babylonians. Daniel makes cakes of pitch, fat, and hair. The dragon eats them and bursts open. That's from Daniel 14, 30. An interesting read, no doubt. So before this podcast does get a little out of hand, I'm going to call it there. I'm going to split this up into two parts at the very minimum, potentially more depending on how much I get through next week. But there is a lot to cover in terms of the dragon. We haven't even gotten to the mythology in terms of what most people are familiar with in the English or Britain mythology, such as the St. George and the dragon, or any other mythological ones. I think the best dragon stories come out of that time, and we haven't even touched, really, the Chinese dragons, which are maybe some of the most culturally important dragons of all time. So we will touch on those again next week. This is part one of the dragon mythos. Now I do have to mention this again, but it would mean a whole lot if you could leave a review. And if you do join the YouTube channel, please like, comment, and subscribe everything you have on there. Or even if you're checking out the live streams, give me a follow. 
every little thing helps. That's all I got to say on that. So until next week.